Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1692, a French doctor named Guy Patton penned the first clinical description of a disease called fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, or FOP for short, F-O-P. In his medical log, he wrote this. I saw a woman today who finally became hard as wood all over. He truly meant this phrase because FOP is a disease that slowly and irreversibly turns people into solid bone. The disease imprisons the entire body, top to bottom, front to back. Ligaments and tendons and muscles all solidify as the body becomes hard as cement. This horrid disease occurs because of one rogue gene in the body, one genetic mutation of the now called FOP gene, and it has one goal, slowly harden the body until it's dead. On this last Lenten midweek, we're going to focus on Pontius Pilate. He's a man that we already talked about a little bit last week and really needs no introduction. His name should be strikingly familiar to us as Christians. He's extremely important to the gospel narrative, and he plays a significant role in the salvation story. We are reminded of this every time we confess Jesus' sufferings under the authority of Pontius Pilate in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds. So tonight, as we focus in on Pilate, we learn something. We learned that he had an acute case of FOP. Not the physical FOP, but a spiritual FOP. In this case, the disease didn't start in the ligaments or in the tendons, but it started right in the heart. And it took over the whole body. And its goal was to slowly harden Pilate's heart until he became spiritually dead. Now, in order to see that progression of Pilate's spiritual hardening, it's important to understand his background. According to a Latin inscription that was found in the year 1961 on the Mediterranean coast, Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea for 10 years, from the years 26 to 36 AD. He was from a middle-class family, and that's something interesting and important to remember. But before he was governor, he served in the Roman army in what is today modern Germany. And one year while he was on leave in Rome, he married an upper-class woman. This woman was named Claudia. And Claudia was the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus, the king. Yes, that same Caesar Augustus, the king that we read about every year in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. So, middle-class Pilate marries upper-class granddaughter of Caesar Augustus. Now he's made it. And because of this connection, Pontius Pilate gets a position that he would never have the opportunity to get before. He is given the position of governor of Judea. So that's his backstory. And that's how we understand how we got to the place of authority that we know but now let's remember how Jesus came to be standing before that authority, before Pontius Pilate, 
Remember back that the posse led by Judas Iscariot arrests Jesus on Thursday night. He's taken to stand trial before the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. And finally before that Sanhedrin, which we can think of as the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. And they accuse him of blasphemy for calling himself God, which in Jewish law is punishable by death. But there's one problem. The Jews can condemn a man to death, but they can't carry out the sentence. Before Jesus can be executed, the Jews must get Pilate's consent. That's his part to play in the story. Famously and for all ages, this is how Pilate is remembered. For using the authority of Imperium, that I talked about last week, to have Jesus crucified. Now, let's look at this process a little bit. The Jews had led Jesus from the high priest, Caiaphas, to the governor's palace, that Roman fortress, Antonia, at 6 a.m. in the morning. And they're all there. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of them. And they have Jesus now right where they want him. And soon they'll have Pilate right where they want him as well. Pilate asks a few routine questions. Like, what's this man done wrong? Which the Jews don't answer directly because there's no Roman law against blasphemy. The Jews can't say, this man claims to be the Messiah, because Pilate would simply wave his hand at that kind of remark. After all, Roman historians tell us that Pilate didn't really like the Jews all that much. He didn't understand the Jews. Pilate didn't really like to waste his time in religious debates with the Jews. You can see Pilate's heart is becoming harder by the minute. Pilate then questioned Jesus again. He asked, are you the king of the Jews? Now the all-important word there is king. Because king means one thing to the Jews. It means Messiah. It means the anointed one, the one who would come to save. But it means something completely different to the Romans, for in their minds, they think of king as a military ruler. So Jesus answers Pilate, it is as you say. This means that, yes, I am king, but not the kind of king that you're thinking of. But the chief priests want to confuse Pilate into thinking that Jesus is a revolutionary leader and thus a threat to Rome. But it doesn't really work out like they want it to, because Jesus tells Pilate directly, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate's heart again continues to solidify. He has Jesus scourged, just short of death. But the crowds aren't satisfied. They want more. They want Christ killed. And so the Jews play their trump card, their ace in the hole. They say to Pilate, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Pilate knows exactly what they mean by that, because the Caesar, the king, who was Tiberius at this time, was sick. He was always a suspicious and often violent person, as Roman history records tell us, and he could turn on a dime to those who were under him, have them killed. He was a savage in that sense. 
Tiberius wouldn't like getting news about a riot in Judea, especially when Judea's governor was that middle-class man who only got the position because of a family connection. But the Jews knew exactly what they were doing by the words they were saying. They backed Pilate into a corner, pure and simple. And it works. Because if the choice had been between Jesus and the Jews, Pilate would let Jesus go. But that's not how the Jewish leaders frame the issue. Their remarks make it a choice between Jesus and Rome. So Pilate has a predicament. And when people are in a predicament, they do many things to save their own hides. They do things to save their own jobs, their own reputations, their own status. People will do many things, again, to save their own skin when it comes down to it. And in Pilate's case, well, they would even have a man who is innocent be crucified. So Pilate asks, shall I crucify your king? The irony is that Jesus' kingship isn't a military type, as we've already said. He's not looking for a battle. No, he's the king who comes to love his people so much that he willingly suffers and bleeds. He's the king who cleanses sin-stained hearts, the king who heals deep brokenness, the king who takes on frail flesh to die in our place. The king knows exactly the time and place of his execution, and yet he goes willingly to the cross, all for us. And the chief priests answer Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. So now again, as things now could get out of hand and a riot could be coming in place, Pilate caves in, and he has Jesus executed, nailed to the cross by his hands and feet, lifted up, hanging between heaven and earth. And why did Pilate do it? Because his heart had become hard as stone. The spiritual thought got the best of him. But Pilate isn't alone in suffering with spiritual fop, is he? See, we suffer from it too. We don't notice it right away. It comes subtly. At first, our priorities are just a little bit mixed up. I don't need to read the Bible today. So it's okay if I skip church this week. It's getting hard with the kids. I'm getting old and I can't really get up anymore. The devotion routine is taking a little bit too much time, so I think I'll stop for a few days. I don't need to pray before meals or before bed. I don't need to review the catechism. Hey, I passed that years ago. Let the kids worry about it. But the excuses keep coming. And very slowly, before we know it, the expectations become the norm in our lives. So we stop reading the Bible every day, we stop praying. We attend service maybe every other week, or once a month, or once a quarter. Maybe we become priesters. We stop attending Bible class. We stop personal devotions. We stop devotions with our kids and our spouses. We stop repenting of our sins. We stop putting all of our fear, love, and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And God forbid 
that the day comes when words like Jesus and Holy Communion, baptism and worship, salvation, they have little to no impact on our lives anymore. See, these things happen to people all the time when they become overwhelmed with spiritual thought, which again has that one goal of slowly hardening our hearts until we become spiritually dead. Well, we already mentioned that FOP got the best of Pontius Pilate, and it works in our life to try and get the best of us. But it doesn't have to. Because there is a cure for this condition. Like King David in our psalm tonight, Psalm 51, we can cry to the Lord in repentance over the sins in our lives, the sins that cause that spiritual hardening in our hearts. We can repent and implore God to reverse the deadness in our hearts and to create in us new and clean hearts. And so he does. Listen again to the words from our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel chapter 11, where God says this, I will take away their stony, stubborn heart Give them a tender, responsive heart. See, the Lord molds our stony hearts back into life. This is his promise for us in Christ Jesus. Though a new heart costs us nothing, it costs Jesus everything. For us, he gave his back to be whipped, his face to be spitten and beat, his head to have the thorn of crowns placed on, and ultimately to die. He did it all for us, to give each of us a new heart, one that lives for him, responding in faith, in love, in tender compassion, a new heart that is spiritually alive, alive for him and alive forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, to life everlasting. Amen.